If you've ever thought of quilting your own projects but just don't know where to start, I have the perfect first steps for you. I've put together a PDF guide. I call it Three Steps Toward Freehand Freedom. These are the baby steps, but they can help you move past your overwhelm and show you that yes indeed, freehand quilting can be learned. So if you'd like to snag this PDF, there's a link in the show notes, or if you're an Instagram user, just message me three steps. That's the number three, S-T-E-P-S, and I'll send you that link. Let today be the day you get started. One of the greatest things about quilting, I think, is what it teaches you. No matter how good I get at cutting, there's always some mistake. You know, at a certain point, you can't keep ripping out the seams. So I learned to live with the imperfections, and it's such a great teaching tool. It reminds me every day that's kind of how life is. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast where we hear quilters and other crafter stories and draw encouragement and even life lessons from them. Today's guest is Laura Petrovich Cheney, and she and I are going to take a deep dive into her exploration into wood quilts. You won't want to miss this one. I'm your host, Susan Smith, coming to you from my quilting studio, Stitched by Susan. This is where my long arm Lucy and I spend lots of hours doing freehand edge to edge quilting. Now, if you're not a quilter and those terms mean nothing to you, it's basically doodling on the surface of a quilt with a 50-pound writing implement with needle and thread attached and at really high speed. And if you are a machine quilter, I invite you to tune in to the live and unscripted events hosted on my YouTube channel, also called Stitched by Susan. These are streamed live the first and third Friday of every month. And they're interactive because they're live, so you can actually ask questions and get answers about that project while I'm working on it. So be sure and check those out. And another thing that I recently made available to machine quilters is my All Over Feather class. So quilters from way back will know that feathers are always eye-catching, it seems like, and the all-over meandering ones are no exception. So in this free class, I'll show you how to achieve the graceful, sort of flowing feathers that you've always aspired to. From the basic feather shape, even coverage on the quilt, to avoiding awkward corners, or customizing the little details, it's all here in the class, and I'll walk you through it and demo the quilting step by baby step. So if that interests you, just head to my website and a sign-up form for that class will pop up, and it is entirely free. Today's Pins and Needles is brought to you by The Will and Dave Show. Hey, I'm Will. And I'm Dave. We're The Will and Dave Show, a small podcast where we talk about the things that matter to us, whether that's politics or social issues or pop culture. We are on opposite ends of most every discussion we have, and yet at the end, we always find a little bit of common ground. So check us out at www.thewillanddaveshow.com or on YouTube or wherever fine podcasts are found. And now, back to pins and needles with a quick tip for all you sharp quilters out there. Do you find, as I do, that you take photographs of your projects, your cross-stitch, your slow stitching your in my case quilting whatever it may be on your smartphone but gradually over time you get hundreds or even thousands of photos and when you want to find a particular one there's just no way you can scroll through all those photos and track it down here's how I keep track of my quilting photographs I use Pinterest and on my own account I've created boards in different categories 
but let me give you an example. I quilt a lot for clients, and so I have a board that's called My Gallery Edge to Edge Quilting. And on that board, I only put photographs of things that I have quilted with my own original edge-to-edge freehand type designs. So both it's a place that I can go for ideas when I'm looking for what I want to quilt on this next project. And also when I'm consulting with a client, I can quickly pull up that Pinterest board anywhere there's internet, there's access, right? And I can pull up that board and scroll through the different photographs and ideas. And often I will either even have Um, multiple photographs of the same quilt so you can see it close up further away at a couple couple different angles or even applied to a couple different quilts for ideas so it's a great way to have a digital scrapbook right at your fingertips you all know i love my coffee and if you're interested in supporting this podcast you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash stitched by Susan, where for the price of one delicious coffee, you're able to make a one-time contribution. This helps me keep batteries in stock for my microphone and enables me to keep bringing you these weekly episodes. Thanks so much for your support and maybe take a moment now to refill your cup as you settle back to enjoy today's interview. Let me introduce you to my guest, Laura in her own words. My material is salvaged wood gathered in the aftermath of environmental tragedies such as Hurricane Sandy, forest fires in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and from numerous other unnamed storms in Massachusetts. The wood is from damaged and wrecked houses, cedar sidings, screen doors, kitchen cabinets, wood tables, and repurposed into luminous patchwork constructions. Through these difficult situations, my work is filled with vibrant color and uplifting hopefulness. I never paint the wood. They're as I found them and bear the marks of usage through their nail holes and scratches, reminding us that material has memory. Welcome, Laura. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is going to be such a treat. So I want to know how you got into this wood quilt making process. Are you a fabric quilter, first of all? And and maybe it is a multifaceted question, but maybe how did you get started there? And then how did you make that segue into this reclaimed wood project? Yes, that's usually the first question that I usually get. Like, do you make fabric quilts? And the question to that, the answer to that question is yes, I do make fabric quilts. I started um, fabric quilting when I was about 17. Um, I went to this antique show in my hometown of Haddonfield, New Jersey, and I saw this gorgeous, gorgeous antique quilt and wanted it behind my bed. And my mother said, I'm not buying someone else's used blanket. She had no value. (laughs) She had no value for crafts or homespun things. Um, She did try at one time to sew and it was an utter disaster. My mother was a city girl. So, um, you know, when she said no to me, it just gave me the, uh, I don't know, the chutzpah to do it on my own. So I learned how to make a quilt all by myself. I bought a machine. I bought the fabric, did not wash the fabric, had no idea what a seam allowance was. And when they said, you know, give yourself a fat quarter of an inch on each side, I thought, well, that's a half inch of fabric I'm losing. I just paid a lot of money for this. And there's no way I'm sewing it as close to the edge as I can get. I'm going to be economical about this. And lo and behold, <laughs> I can imagine. 
it kind of fell apart and I had to pin it together over the years and I stitched it up like anybody who's self-taught would and basically it got regulated or you know sent over to the pets so they use my first fabric quilt and I've quilted over the years for friends and their babies and their weddings and now their grandchildren and that's that's what I do with my fabric quilts I don't show them I just make them for, for pleasure but my wood quilt started uh, when I was in my mid 40s I went back to school to um, study my master's of fine arts degree I really wanted that degree a lot and um, I was sculpting in wood and I had found these two wood boats. I, I, the wood that I was using was always found um, primarily because it was it had to do with my aesthetics of recycling and reclaiming wood, but also too because I was pretty dead broke from paying for graduate school. So it kind of made sense to find free stuff. So on the beach, I lived near the, uh, the beach, I found these gorgeous boats and I just pulled them in my studio and they sat for about a year because I wasn't doing painted wood. Mm -hmm. And when I was about ready to graduate, one of my professors said how disappointed they had were that I'd never combined my first degree of fashion design with this master's degree in sculpting. They had imagined that I would have sculpted with fabric. And I thought, well, that's a nifty idea. Why didn't you say something three years ago about that right so so i'm left with this little gem percolating in my head and you know months later about a year later i was at the grocery store and i see this magazine quilting with fabrics like better homes and gardens or something and since i am a quilter i was drawn to that magazine immediately and i picked it up and there was this blue and orange turquoise fabric quilt in a traditional Lincoln's platform and it hit me, you know, in the middle of the grocery store. I'm like, holy mackerel, I could make those wood boats into a wood quilt because, wow, the colors are exactly alike and who knew? Let's try it. So I did and it was really fun. So, so that's you kind how of, that got started. You kind of flipped that gem of an idea on its head. So instead of fabric sculpture, you went into wood quilts. I love that. Correct. I love that. Yep. And I mean, it's so clear looking at any of the photos in your website and your galleries that, you know, it's recognizable designs, the double wedding ring, certain stars and courthouse steps and things like that. They just look like quilts and the colors you find yeah. are amazing. So I understand that you don't alter those wood pieces in any way like the colors that are represented are the actual reclaimed paint is that right and finish correct correct i never paint them um some of them have marks like uh stickers or nail polish some of them have uh writing on them like uh, carpenter's marks if it's you know they're mathematical uh notations i suppose before mm -hmm. it goes up but yeah, the, I love that. I love not touching the wood. If I have to rip out a nail hole, that hole stays. I don't putty it, and it's just fantastic. I think it it provides that kind of material memory to those mm -hmm. things, and it yes. gives an immediacy that somebody had owned this. This belonged to somebody. What a great history. I, I can just imagine yeah. standing and looking close up at one of your pieces and imagining all the things that it has seen. So tell yeah. me, 
what does your stash look like? How in the world do you store a stash? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. I'm always looking for new ways to store it. I bet you are. Um, No one asked me how I store it. They always ask, do I run out? And I said, no, I store it right now in a storage unit. Okay. Um, Basically on horses, saw horses. So I have it piled up. Sometimes I'll cut them. I, w- I was a school teacher for about 15 years, so I absconded with a lot of milk crates. You know, I'd take a few home every every couple of days. So I chop them down into milk crate size, mm-hmm. and I'll pull out the nails. So that, so that sort of helps. I could, They're like the fat quarters, you know? Exactly. It's like, big... it's like pre-washing and pre-folding, you know? A little bit. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um and it's it's just so funny. And then the larger ones sit on sawhorses or just on top of each other. Trash cans. I went to Home Depot and got a whole bunch of trash cans, and they sit long because sometimes you do want ones that are you know five feet long to to run a border, and I don't want to have to split those. So, right. Yeah, but in a storage unit, and they get cut smaller and smaller, and then they get put into little bins and boxes. So does it kind of work the same way that fabric does? Like you sort of make the bigger pieces first, cut the bigger pieces first, and gradually you get smaller and smaller scraps, but you can still use them in unique ways? Yeah, absolutely. This is so great talking to quilters because they get it immediately, you know, when I talk to other people, they're like, well, how small? I'm like, how about one eighth of an inch triangle? I can't necessarily do anything with that, but I can make three-dimensional sculptures, which is what I started to do. So you're absolutely right. They go from large six-feet pieces all the way down to one-eighth inch triangle. And they are marked first by color because that's the easiest way for me to go and grab like, geez, I need a green. So let me go to the green milk uh, crate. And then they can go to size. So at a certain point, just like any quilter, it's, I don't care what color it is. I need something really minuscule right mm-hmm. here, right now. So, yeah. And happy bonus. You don't have to worry about fat quarter seam allowances or scant quarter inch or any of those things anymore, right? No fraying. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. But they do fray. Actually, the wood. Do they? Um, because it is salvaged wood. Sometimes there is a, and it just happened today. I'm sanding a triangle a three inch triangle cut at the 45 degree and I'm sanding it, you know, to get it smooth for gluing. And there was just enough uh, crack in it that I lost the corner. So I had to recut it and put it all back together. But then I'm left with, you know, a tiny you know, little triangle and a nibbed piece. But yeah, so it does the wood does fray because of the damage that it had gone through. Right. And when I follow that through, I can see that because, of course, wood has a grain. Yeah. So it's going to matter yes. which way it's cut too, and what sort of effects you get and how fragile it probably is Correct. on the edge. And how much, absolutely. And how much damage it suffered. You know, some pieces of the wood uh, had absorbed more water than other pieces. Sometimes the pieces had come down from a house an entire house that was being demolished. So the third floor, the second floor of that house may not have suffered such extreme damage, but the first floor might have been waterlogged. So the paint chips a little bit more readily. It's uh, more, it's so much softer and can peel apart easier. 
Awesome. So, so yeah. do you source a lot of your materials locally or have you had to travel far and wide and maybe what's your most kind of unique? Well, you should talk a little bit about the type of reclaimed wood that you get, the type of projects that your wood comes from, your materials. Sure, sure. Well, I lived through Hurricane Sandy, so it was really right. easy to pick up, to pick up, um, you know, thousands of trips along the shore to pick up wood right after that had happened. Our, my house that I share with my husband had been hit with a tree. We lost our porch and the tree fell into the bedroom ceiling, not through the house, but, you know, through the roof. And my parents' house, the whole first floor was gone. Wow. So going back and forth there, I picked up a lot. Then uh, I was invited to go down to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, after they had their fires in 2016. And I picked up some wood there. I had it shipped home. And uh, that was really fun because even though I wrapped them in plastic bags before I put them in the cardboard box, there still was that uh, charcoal dust. Mm-hmm. So when they arrived, the the UPS driver was furious. He's like, what's in here? That's like leaking ash. I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. I don't know. Maybe something <laughs> broke. <laughs> and then um, and then just locally, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, uh, houses that have been bought during the COVID that, you know, exodus out of the cities and into the suburbs. So all this, you know, home buying and home renovations has been a boom for me, as well as the furniture that, you know, is tossed on the side of the road during college move outs here in Boston. Right, so, right. See, yeah. and that is a thing that we fabric quilters don't ever find, you know, lovely materials just being tossed. So you're lucky that you you have quite a few sources of material. Do you try to track some of those things in any way, particularly things that have come from tragedies like hurricanes? Like, does that become part of the story in your piece? Or is it just all kind of rich with meaning? You know, I can remember just about every single piece of wood I would say about 90% of the wood I remember where it's from really that's Um, amazing it really is and people say well how do you remember I'm like well you kind of can't forget what it looked like to see a house tipped over on its side and helping the owner rummage through and helping them take the wood out or take the wood from their pile on their front yard into my truck. It's something you'll never forget. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're dumpster diving and explaining to the people why, you know, I'm digging in for their wood. Uh, you just don't forget it because it was so dramatic, so impactful, so devastating that it's always imprinted in my head. I guess I can see that because I look at, Like my mother was a quilter and my grandmother before her. And so some of my earlier quilts had bits of fabric that were literally from, you know, my PJs as a kid or my mom's apron or things like that. And I remember those, of course, when I see them, they're recognizable. Does it feel kind of like that to you? Like you're piecing together these stories and personal moments just the way that we do in our fabric quilts? Yep, absolutely. And even more so because everything that I have collected belonged to somebody else. And it was so sad to lose that family home. It was so sad to toss out the dresser that was painted with their, with their dad, who's now gone. And it was supposed to be in the house forever. And it, it wasn't. 
mm-hmm. you know, and it's or, or just the, the tragic loss of it, you know, the financial loss of people that didn't have flood insurance that got flooded mm-hmm. because it wasn't supposed to be a flood zone. So you kind of can't help those memories and they're they're with me. But then the flip side of that is the hopefulness like, oh, wow, it's not going into a landfill or the porch that we painted that one summer is actually going to be a piece of art that's going to wind up in a museum and it carries on in a different way. Right. And I can totally see that it's becoming something new, but it's a new lease on life. It's going to be loved again, perhaps by someone else who doesn't even know it's earlier story, but knows that it has one. Yeah. That, that's just, it just gives me goosebumps, quite honestly, thinking of that continuity of story and that carrying forward of hope and meaning. I love that. All right. Tell me a little bit about some of your ex- exhibitions maybe that you've had or that you are currently involved in. Sure. Uh, and thank you for that opportunity. That's always so exciting. I think the most, one of the most exciting ones, obviously, was the International Quilt Museum out in Lincoln, the Mecca for everybody. Um, I was invited to show some pieces there, and that was so thrilling. I was actually in um, Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee, and Berea College, which was great, because I feel like um, it was so much fun to visit the South and the quilts there and to have that conversation. I was in uh, one of the islands outside of Seattle that was really fun to travel to, and I kind of nostalgic for those now because I'm not traveling. But I have a current exhibit at the New England Quilt Museum here in Lowell, Massachusetts, that I'm really proud of because they have some works from my early days. They have, it almost feels like a retrospective and I have been doing this for 10 years. So that's kind of weird to see a piece from 2011 next to a piece that I just finished this year. And you can see the difference and that's That's kind of cool. So wherein does the difference lie? Is it in your aesthetic or in your skill level or all of the above? All of the above, the complexity. You know, the first piece that I made, Lincoln's platform was, you know, five by five inch squares with a three by five rectangle. Kind of basic. Um, And then the other one now was a, a kaleidoscope one that's very complicated that starts off with an octagon and then I took those pie pieces and split them in half so it's the complexity it's the sophistication of the colors after working with them for so long um and the confidence you know the bravado of knowing hey wow this is what I can do with a bandsaw right well, so. it, do you know, is any of that exhibit available to view online? Could I leave a link for that in the show notes for our listeners? Sure, you absolutely can. It's um, the New England Quilt org. Okay. And I'm sure yeah. they have links there for current exhibits that are being shown. Good. Correct. Correct. Good. Well, I will certainly put a link for that. And you've been you. featured in a book as well. Is that correct? Uh, yes, Quilts and Health, which was published a couple years ago, but recently I was in this magazine called Uppercase Magazine, and it's out of Canada, and it's a fabulous uh, supported magazine, so there's no ads, which is really nice that you're not bombarded with products and merchandising. You can take such a wonderful deep dive into the magazine, and issue 51 is called Arts and Quilts. So it features quilts and art 
based on quilts. Right. So I have a piece in there. And, you know, she titles it, her tagline is for the creative and curious. Oh, I love that. She, oh, it's beautiful. They're beautiful. They're soy-based inks. And, you know, people could submit articles and um, ideas. So she's always up for new things. And it's craft-based and fabric-based and journals and it's such a beautiful world to, to live in in her magazine. And I love, too, that it is, as you say, supported. So if there's no ads in it, then it reads much more like visiting a gallery, doesn't it? You can sit yes. with your cup of coffee in hand and just immerse yourself in the gallery without distractions. Mm, I'll have to get yes. me that copy. Issue 51, you said? Issue 51, yes. It's all about quilts. I will be on the lookout for that. Great. So one of the techniques that Quilt makers use quite a bit is called fussy cutting, where they are deliberately cutting in certain places to feature some some feature in their little right. piece. How does that translate into working with your medium, wood? Yes, absolutely. Well, remember I mentioned in the pieces that had stickers or a nail hole or some markings, I will fussy cut those. And when I try to explain it to a non-quilting audience, they're like fussy what like how did you get that <laughs> how did you get that size sticker exactly to fit that piece and I'm like well there's this little thing where you go into the wood and cut it all around specifically to highlight that and that's called fussy cutting and I, their eyes roll back and they still have a little trouble understanding but I'll know instantly who quilts and who doesn't by that mention, whether, fussy cut. Like, whether they oh, know what yeah. fussy cutting is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Love it. Absolutely. It designates those who know and those who don't immediately. Okay. And I'm heading right out of here to go and look at some of your gallery photos and zoom in on them. I'm going to find some of those <laughs> fussy cut bits. That's great. That's right. Okay. And I have one other question too. Are you... How does size limit what you do? Is there kind of a maximum size you'll work up to, or does just the piece you're working on kind of tell you that? That's a very good question because a lot of times uh, I, my work is in exhibits that aren't necessarily quilt related. Mm -hmm. So for certain sizes, I like the square because mathematically it works out. But having a 24-inch piece or a 36-inch piece is relatively small for an exhibit. Right. So a few things that I do about that is I make individual blocks and I assemble them on the wall. So oh, okay. just like how we would make blocks to make a twin size or a king size, you just add more blocks. I do the same thing. So one of the installations that I have right now at the New England Quilt Museum is three feet by um, eight feet. And I've my blocks are 12 inches by 12 inches and they're hung very close together. So it's not a fully assembled piece. It's, it's a series of small blocks, much like a quilt. So it really can allow me to site specific a work or just come up with something a little bit more non-quilt-like. And that's always an interesting conversation. The maximum size piece of wood that I use is five feet by five feet. And that's only because the wood, that's the largest wood panel that I could get. And it's the largest one that fits in my truck and the longest one that I could hold by myself. So, so. practical reasons there. So Correct. from a practical standpoint, do you affix all your pieces onto a base is that correct 
And then is it correct bound like a quilt in some way or framed or no? Uh, they're not framed. They have the patchwork on top. My batting layer is the glue and I do have a backing. And if I have time, if I'm not in a crunch with a deadline, I actually paint my backing a bright color. I'll go to the hardware store and buy a whole bunch of those odd colors that didn't work or were returned. And I'll paint them a beautiful blue, a hot pink, a strange yellow. So there's this surprise when you turn it over like, oh, wow, that's a backing. And so they do have the three layers like a quilt. And I affix them with a French cleat because they can be quite heavy. And right. sometimes I'll use uh, aluminum bands as well. I, uh, what I consider my binding is that I finish the edges of the wood. Sometimes I'll leave them raw, just raw wood. Sometimes I'll finish them in a gray color or a white color. Okay, fascinating. So, Absolutely fascinating. Yeah. It's wonderful just the parallels that I keep tripping over in my mind as I kind of follow through your processes. Thanks for sharing that. Sure, sure. All right. So where can viewers find you and maybe find some of your works that are for sale if they're interested? Sure. Um, I'm on artsy.com under my full name. I have a gallery in Provincetown. Uh, my website, laurachaney.com. And uh, yeah, Instagram. Instagram's probably, that's where I found you on Instagram. Perfect. And that's probably my favorite place to sort of hang out if I'm going to hang out on social media. It's a great place to meet other creative folks, isn't it? It is. All right. Well, I will certainly connect all those links for any listeners that want to follow them. So before we go, do you have any little nugget that you would like to share with our listeners? Can be an aha moment from your life or your art or your creativity or a tidbit of wisdom you want to share? Let us have it. Absolutely. One of the greatest things about quilting, I think, is what it teaches you. Um, or what it teaches me personally, no matter how good I get at cutting, there's always some mistake in the work. It's maybe too big or it moved with the glue. And, you know, at a certain point, you can't keep ripping out the seams. I can't keep chopping it off and fixing it. So I learned to live with the imperfections. And it's such a great teaching tool for life because, okay, I messed up. How many times am I going to take it apart? I I just have to accept it, patch it up maybe with a little, you know, coping edge or a little extra filler and move on. And Mm -hmm. it reminds me every day that's kind of how life is. You know, I can't keep redoing it. I just do the best that I can, add a little extra, take a little extra off and, and move on. And it's such a good metaphor for life. So good. Thank you very much for sharing that. And thanks for joining me today. This has been a great visit. Sure. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in to the show. If you enjoyed this podcast, do consider leaving a review on Apple Podcast or the podcast app of your choice. It really helps other listeners to find the show so they can hear these stories too. Plus, I'd love to hear from listeners who'd like to nominate a crafter with a story to tell. Email me at info at stitchedbysusan.com and don't forget to CC the nominee. So until next time, may your sorrows be patched and your joys be quilted. <laughs>